0: What was the first achievement? The first thought that comes to mind for the first achievement is actually getting my first job. I was one of, I think, two women in the whole building that I was in. And like learning to navigate that environment was a big growth opportunity for me, but it was more of a microcosm of their culture because we weren't there in the office every day. Often what I need help with confidence in is not presenting my ideas, but just asking for help and saying that I don't know what's going on. I, I do think I think there's a way to ask a question that um, still highlights the thoughtful and intelligent behavior of a good engineer or a good professional in the tech world, and you don't have to feel dumb while doing it.
1: So I wanted to ask if you could uh, speak a little about the early in career initiative that you started and uh, what it means for newer employees, especially in the context of
0: the pandemic. It's a completely different experience to start a job remotely. Um, And so we started putting together some discussion groups and just times to hang out and go to lunch um, and spend time with each other and get to know each other. And then we started getting a bit of recognition from the site team and we reached out to them to see if there could be some budget to support this endeavor and if this is something that they're willing to sort of sponsor and they were, which was awesome. One is it starts with the environment and with choosing and putting yourself in an environment that's going to support the kind of work structure that you wanna have. So if you really want a nine to five structure and you work at a 10 person startup where the norm is that you answer calls when you get called, that might not be the right environment for you.
2: Hi everyone, this is episode five on season two of the EITF project. And for this episode, we have a very interesting guest. Charu and I talked to Gracie Wilson from Microsoft in this episode. Why Gracie? Well, I was in the audience when Gracie gave a speech at the Women in Tech Conference at Boston, and it got me thinking. She has some very interesting things to say. But before we get into that, Charu and I will now introduce her.
3: Gracie started her career in a very unconventional way, She started a company right off the bat called Critter Sitters, a pet-sitting company which showed increasing revenue for 30 consecutive months. What a fun way to start a career.
2: Gracie says in the interview that the next phase of her career, which included a lot of internships in companies like GE, Pinch, Women Without Borders, and eventually Microsoft, were very interesting and promises that internships teach you a lot about an eventual full-time career. She is a big advocate of internships. She's now a full-time software engineer at Microsoft. One of the common trends in her career journey is that she's
3: always looking to solve the issues that she sees around her, whether or not the issue falls within her field. It's an admirable trait that she's been able to take her ventures to such great heights. Speaking of ventures, Gracie coins the term entrepreneurship can begin at home in her interview and a testament to that is the Early In Career group that she helped create in Microsoft. Having been one of the employees who started out her career in Microsoft during the pandemic, she found a way to help individuals connect to get to know each other and create group events for them as well. The Early In Career group was recognized and funded by Microsoft for the great initiative that it was. At EITF, we were lucky to talk to the group last year.
2: You will notice in Gracie's EITF interview that a lot of her answers encourage our audience to take initiative without having the fear of the environment that they are in. In today's world, where every employee is trying to do their best to stay at the top of their game, given the economic condition, this can help set you apart. A very encouraging interview and a lot to learn, especially for folks who are early in their careers. We hope you enjoy and don't forget to leave us your comments. Hi, everyone. This interview is going to be a super, super special one. We have Gracie Wilson with us. Gracie and I met at the Women in Tech conference in Boston, where she gave a super fun speech for the audience about everything that she's doing in her career apart from her daily job. And I think this is Something that's very important for all of you to hear. You're going to learn a lot from her and we're going to have a lot of fun with this interview. So uh, welcome to the show, Gracie.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
2: So I'm going to be starting with the first question, Gracie. Um, In season one, we had asked our experts what their first job was and how it affected their career going forward. We have a small change to that question this time. What was the first, what was the first achievement that you had in your career? Like big achievement you felt like, and what was the first misstep that you had in your career? And what did you learn from each one? Because we feel like, The first experiences, your first manager, your first achievements and your missteps definitely cast uh, an influence on the rest of your career. So what was yours?
0: That's a great question. The first thought that comes to mind for the first achievement is actually getting my first job (laughs) uh, in the technical space. I came in as a first year at Olin College of Engineering and there was a big career fair and the whole experience of, putting together a resume based on mostly high school experiences and a couple classes that I was taking and just going to a lot of interviews and having those discussions with recruiters and putting myself out there Um, and then actually getting an internship that first year felt like a really big achievement to me. And so I was very excited to just have a job with um, I I worked with GE Aviation that summer um, and sort of my parents. I knew the name and that felt really good to me that I could sort of explain what I was doing to people who had helped me get there. And so so landing that role was felt big just to have the opportunity to be there. As for the first misstep of my career, it is cheesy, but I do believe that all my mistakes have taught me huge lessons and it's almost like the bigger the mistake, the more I learn from it. And so I don't end up regretting it in the end. I do think that that first summer with GE Aviation, I did sort of a two-part program where GE had just moved their headquarters to Boston. And so they were doing a collaboration with the city of Boston. And half my time was spent sort of on the jet engine engine factory floor in Lynn, Massachusetts, and with like hard hats and steel-toed boots and working with union factory workers and machinists. And then the other half of my days was spent in a high rise in downtown Boston in the financial district working with 10 other interns from GE across different GE divisions, sort of collaborating and thinking about um, data science for the city of Boston and thinking about open data sets and how we could make those more accessible and useful to the public and constituents of Boston. During that process, I think I I leaned a lot on skills that I already felt comfortable with in myself, which were more project management oriented and sort of high level operations, Um, communicating with the mayor's office and with the GE um, high ranking folks and making sure that like all the communication was happening properly. And I tended to volunteer a lot for tasks that wouldn't necessarily help me grow in my own skill set, but that I thought were important to the team and I felt I could do a good job contributing at. It was beneficial in the sense that I got to contribute in a substantial way to the team. And I felt that I had pulled my weight and, you know, the project went really well and our presentation went really well. We got great feedback, but it also limited myself in how much I was able to grow that summer. And I think I could have, uh, I think it could have been better for me, especially so young. And, you know, my first summer of out of college, I didn't need to quite be performing at my top level yet. I just needed to be learning and growing because that's what internships are about. And I think it might've been better for me if I had chosen to be uncomfortable uh, and chosen to take a role that I wasn't already as confident in uh, and tried to contribute in that way. I
2: love that you said that your first achievement was getting your first job, because I think a lot of people definitely underplay that as an achievement. Um, I think there's a lot of struggle in trying to break into the industry to begin with, right? Um, There's a lot of people that go through a bunch of interviews, and then you finally get that job. I feel like that definitely is the biggest achievement to begin with. And then from there, uh, definitely achievements take a, um, you know, you can keep growing and growing and achievements keep growing as well. But that landing that first job definitely is, is important. And I think it shapes your career quite a bit too. So That's a really good answer.
1: So um, looking back on it, uh, do you think that there was somewhere that would have uh, somewhere else that you could have worked that could have uh, benefited your career growth more in in terms of like a specific kind of company? And um, I know that you you transitioned from working at. Uh, like later in your career to working at Pfizer from working at Pfizer to working at Microsoft. So what was that kind of like in terms of the work culture from going from a big pharma company to a big tech company?
0: Sure, so on the first question, I would say no. I think I had a really positive experience at GE um, that exposed me to two very different worlds where one was supply chain engineering and management on the factory floor, uh, also looking at gender dynamics there, where I was one of, I think, two women in the whole building that I was in. And like learning to navigate that environment was a big growth opportunity for me and sort of take myself seriously as an engineer and present myself as an engineer, even though I was very young, I was a woman with like a lot of very experienced uh, professionals in that environment. So I think that presented a lot of growth. Um, And then in the afternoons, that was every morning I was on the factory floor. And every afternoon I was thinking more about how data science interacts with local government and how we can make um, data more accessible to the public. And also working with fellow interns who were also young, there was more gender balance on that team. Um, And so just a very different cultural experience. And so I was really grateful that I sort of felt like I had two internship experiences in one. Um, And I've always said I would intern the rest of my life if I could, I love internships. (laughs) I think they're an awesome way to try out an environment and a kind of work without um, sort of getting locked in for years and years, uh, you can sort of, I think something about that deadline at the end of the summer pushes you to get everything you can out of that experience, because you know that the end is coming and you only have a few months to make the most of it. Um, so I was really grateful for the experience. And I think any ways that I would have changed it were really, it's, it was less about the experience that was presented to me and more about the way I reacted to it. Um, and I think I was worried about performing at a level, um, that wasn't necessarily expected of me, but that I expected of myself. and in hindsight, I would have loved to have taken advantage of that time when people don't expect as much from you in your career and you are just there to learn to let myself relax and learn and not feel like I have to go with my my core strengths that I already know I have and just deliver on them as hard as I can. but actually let myself relax and take a role that maybe I'm less comfortable in to see if I even like that and if I can, Um, rise to the occasion. Um, And then the second question about Pfizer. Um, So to clarify there, I actually, I worked with Pfizer in a consultancy um, capstone project kind of format. So my senior year of college, I worked on a project where it was, it was for Pfizer, but it was while I was still in college with my fellow college student teammates. Got it. Got it. So I did experience a little bit of that culture by getting to go to the sites. Um, We actually went to where they store their uh, drugs in the preclinical trials, um, in the warehouses and where they do their testing. And so it was very cool to experience that, but it was more of a microcosm of their culture because we weren't there in the office every day.
1: Going back to your answer, I found it very interesting that you talked about the the gender dynamics of being one of two women on the floor. So has that, have you kind of noticed that anywhere else, like in your career, like you've, you've been one of the only women and how has that kind of affected how people see you or how you're treated in the workplace?
0: Um, I've actually been very fortunate, I think. So my, to start with, um, the college that I went to, Olin College of Engineering, uh, has a commitment to 50-50 gender balance. And so I was fortunate to, from day one of my exposure to engineering, because I didn't really do engineering things before uh, going to that school, I looked around and saw people who looked like me and I saw gender balance, gender dynamics, got to witness all of that, like messy stuff of people interacting with each other and learning from each other. And so it sort of was my norm to have women around. And I don't know if that impacted maybe what I was attracted to, but after that first summer, really all of my experiences have had a lot of gender diversity, even at my current team here at Microsoft, we're fortunate to have, I think it's about 45 or 50% women on my team. um, If I did the math, we only have like 11 people. So uh, it's just like half and half, but yeah, there's been, I've experienced a lot of diversity and I think that's definitely helped me to feel comfortable being myself, asking questions and just connecting with other people in my workplace and feeling like I can relate to them and get the help that I need because we're human, they're human. Let's all connect and uh, be on the same page and not feel that sense of like, isolation because I don't understand them or I or I feel like they don't understand me. Yeah, for sure.
2: That sounds really valuable. I, I think that's very interesting that you said that too, because having that diversity in your environment also makes you feel very comfortable in presenting yourself as an employee as well. Um, sometimes if you're not comfortable in your environment, you tend to hold back. And I've seen that too, sometimes in meetings where you know, there's a lot of like experienced people in the meetings and you're like the newbie in the meeting. you tend to hold yourself back because you feel like maybe out of respect that you need to hear them out first, even if you feel like you have an idea to present. Um, so that kind of leads me into my next question, right? When you're a new employee and when you walk into a room full of experienced individuals, what is the one piece of advice you would give someone that's new in their career to you know, gain that confidence to present their ideas?
0: I would start with when I've been a new employee in a room full of experienced people, often what I need help with confidence in is not presenting my ideas, but just asking for help and saying that I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Uh, And that's an equally valid thing to need to feel comfortable doing, especially at the very beginning. And I think I've realized over time after starting a couple different jobs that That's something every new employee goes through, regardless of their experience level. When you join a new team, there's going to be questions that you have. And the quicker you can get comfortable with asking them, the faster you're going to onboard, the faster you're going to have impact and be one of those more experienced people. Um, And so I think for me, it took me two to two and a half internships, probably, to get to the point where I just felt comfortable saying, hey, I don't understand why we made that decision. Can you explain that to me? and you know, what's going on with that piece of the code that like looks simple, but actually I don't think it really is because I don't understand it. And, you know, can you explain that to me? So I think getting comfortable, first of all, saying what you don't know and presenting that in a sort of thoughtful way so that I I do think, I think there's a way to ask a question that um, still highlights the thoughtful and intelligent behavior of a good engineer or a good professional in the tech world and you don't have to feel dumb while doing it. You can just say, hey, you know, I've looked at this. Here are the things I've investigated. I thought it might be something like this. Here's kind of my hypothesis, but it, it looks like it's not because of this reason. Can you explain to me what's going on? I've never had a negative response to that kind of question. When you take a moment to actually formulate what you're thinking about and present your thought process, people are happy to help you if you sort of meet them halfway. So first of all, I'd say be comfortable asking questions and admitting when you don't know things, because the longer you hide that, the deeper the hole gets. And you're, nothing good comes with that. So feel comfortable asking questions. <laughs> I,
2: I think that's I think that's a really great answer, because questions are very, very important when you're new, because you have a, you you actually do have a ton of them, even though you feel like you can not ask them. I always used to feel like I need to ask intelligent questions all the time because otherwise I will look dumb in front of, you know, all Mm -hmm. these experienced people. But then over time, I figured out that asking the dumb questions is way more important than trying to figure out, you know, what those intelligent questions are. Because the dumb questions really helped me to get to a place where I didn't have to ask them anymore.
1: I loved your answer and I loved how um, it reflects the importance you place on being a mentor for Um, newcomers at your organization. So I wanted to ask if you could uh, speak a little about the early in career initiative that you started and uh, what it means for newer employees, especially in the context of the pandemic, and what your motivation was in starting it as well.
0: Sure. So, um, well, I, like many folks around the world and definitely at Microsoft and even at Microsoft in Cambridge, where I'm based, started their first full-time job completely 100% remotely. And that was a challenging thing for a lot of folks. Um, and I think we, we, when we started coming back into the office, there was sort of this assumption that those challenges would be over, that the feelings of isolation and um, lack of community, lack of mentorship, that those should fade away because we're all coming back into the office now. But what we found, what was happening, at least at Microsoft in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, was a lot of the folks coming back into the office tended to be of a similar sphere of being younger, recent graduates of undergrad or their master's degree. And a lot of those more senior folks weren't coming in. And so, and we were all on different teams, so we didn't really know each other. And people just started talking to each other. On the 16th floor where I work, there's a lot of lunch tables and people would just sit down at a table and start introducing each other. And so we had sort of this organic community forming that had also started remotely amongst folks who knew each other from internships in prior years. But once we got back into the office, we we saw sort of a lot of energy and enthusiasm for this connection and this community and a safe space to talk about struggles we were having in our work as first time employees of a big tech company to really express, hey, this is something I'm struggling with. Has has anyone else experienced this? Do you have any tips for handling this? Um, And so we started putting together some discussion groups and just times to hang out and go to lunch um, and spend time with each other and get to know each other. And then we started getting a bit of recognition from the site team and we reached out to them to see if there could be some budget to support this endeavor and if this is something that they're willing to sort of sponsor. And they were, which was awesome. And so they gave us some budget And we just went for it and started doing more and more events. We started out, our first one was a a lunch groups event where we literally just put people in groups of five to six folks and made some reservations at local Kendall Square restaurants and sent them out to talk to each other in small groups and got really great feedback from that kind of event. And then uh, we started doing more speaker events, bringing folks into the office to talk. We had a ski trip, hiking trip, offsite. We've had a Rubik's cube workshop. Um, sort of a a large diversity of events because we have no formal leadership structure. So I am one of the folks involved in early in career at NERD, but uh, New England Research and Development Center, which is the NERD acronym, but I'm not the only one by far. And there are many folks who come in and might, you know, show up at our weekly planning meeting for a couple weeks in a row as they plan an event idea that they had, and then they drop off and we don't see them as much for the next few weeks. And sort of that cycle circles around because we have over a hundred folks now in our teams group who are interested in early career programming. I really appreciate how our structure has remained sort of amorphous and flexible and anyone who has an idea and wants to contribute can show up and make that idea happen with our budget. And we aren't limited by the creativity of a couple key individuals who are on the board, As many. Corporate sort of social or employee resource groups are structured. We really have the benefit of the full team that we have, which is over a hundred people, which is really awesome.
1: Yeah, that is that is awesome. So, like just just to touch on that, what would your advice be to anyone else who is? sort of facing what, what you and your incoming cohort face of just not being really in I don't know collaborative zone with all your colleagues when you first joined and having to start that on your own. Do you have any advice for anyone who's looking to initiate something similar in their organizations?
0: One is the individual. What can you do for yourself? And two is how can you try to start a community and motivate other people to join this endeavor with you? On the individual side, I'd say if you do ever go into the office, um, I personally, one of the things I found that was lacking the most, because I I had had the fortune to have an internship in person with my same team. So I sort of knew what that environment was like. And so I knew exactly what I was missing when I was remote. And when I came back into in-person, I was really excited to get back to whiteboarding sessions, um, like brainstorming sessions, thinking through a problem with someone, being able to tap a senior engineer on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm struggling with this bug. Can you just come look at my screen really quick and work through this with me? I found that those were some of the biggest learning opportunities while I was an intern. And it was really hard to replicate that while remote. You can say, hey, do you have a quick moment for a call? Let me share my screen. Um, But I found that was happening a lot less than I wanted it to. And I felt uncomfortable sort of asking for it. And I don't think it was anything in particular that the team culture had, you know, that was discouraging it. I think it's just more difficult um in some ways because it just feels like a bigger thing to ping someone and say can you have a call than it does to tap them on the shoulder literally as they stand next to you and say just like look at this for a second it's just a bigger barrier to entry so i'd say if you do go into the office at all i would say start asking your fellow uh, more senior folks on your team for advice and help on small things because they're usually really happy to give it and that can that can accelerate your growth more than you even realize um, and if you're not going into the office, don't be like me, do call them, <laughs> send them a ping and and ask for help. I think I fell into the trap of just taking a lot of time to articulate my question on in a Teams message and like write out every single thing I tried and everything I thought might be wrong and what my next step was gonna be and can you help me answer this one specific thing? And then they would often just be like, can we hop on a call? And I'm like, oh, I did all that prep work for nothing. I could have just called them. Uh, so, so do reach out. So that's on the individual level. Just start taking charge of your own destiny. Ask for help when you need it. On the community level, start talking to other folks that you think might be in a similar position to you. So if you can find other people who started around the same time as you or anyone that you are already sort of friendly with at work, um, where you're already comfortable sharing those concerns and struggles that you're having, start talking to them and see if they have any interest in starting more of this kind of community because I think there's strength in numbers. And if you can present to your... Um, more senior leadership, hey, we have five individuals who are committed to spending an hour a week on this. Um, We'd like to run with it as an experiment. Can you give us X number of dollars for X, Y, and Z event? That's a really, it. it, basically to make it easy as possible for them to say yes is a great idea. So if you can prepare your whole idea and say, these are the specific events we wanna run, here are the specific resources we require, can you help us? that I think we've seen the greatest chance of success with that. And I'm also fortunate to be at a company like Microsoft that does value diversity and inclusion work and does value um, the kind of value proposition that we are offering with this group. I don't know that it's the same at every company, but the more you can communicate to your managers um, or the, the leadership that you're asking for resources from, the kind of value that this group has, I think that it can be a really powerful narrative and it, it makes sense to people when you really explain it. Like When I gave this talk that Nandini saw at the conference, so many more senior folks came up to me and they were like, I knew something was up with those those new kids who started, but I couldn't quite articulate it. I didn't quite know what was going on, but I, of course it's different because it's a completely different experience to start a job remotely, never having been in the field before than you know, to just go remotely after many years. It's, it's a transition as opposed to, I don't know, just a a fully new experience.
2: So, you know, I really like the first part. Well, I'm gonna talk about both parts of your answer, actually, the first part where you said, do go and ask those questions if you're in the office and don't be afraid to ping someone. Um, I think you are right about like, you know, asking someone for a call versus like, you know, just tapping them on the shoulder, because sometimes like when I get questions too, I'm like, oh, my day was just full of calls yesterday. But you know, I think I think there is some power in that too, in trying to get your questions answered. As far as the as far the as second part of the answer goes, I think there is a there is a subtle lesson to be learned from what you said as well. Is that entrepreneurship can begin at home as well. Um, like you look at a problem around you at work, um, you can actually try to address it at your job as well, rather than always trying to think about this huge scale company that you can start to solve the problem and everything. I think you can (laughs) really start by trying to solve that problem in your company as well, and you've done a great job of it. So that kind of leads me into my next question, right? You mentioned that the pandemic and you saw a problem with the way that people were working. What is the next, you know, the, the pandemic definitely changed the way that everybody works today. It's not going away. The changes that came with the pandemic, they're going to stay forever, right? So what is the next big change that you see coming for the tech industry in the way that we work?
0: That's a really interesting question. First of all, I think we're not done seeing the impacts of the pandemic. The big part of the wave has probably been ridden, and we are now definitely settling into the aftermath. Um, But I think we're still figuring out a lot of kinks in that uh, process and seeing what the impacts of work will look like, especially for people with different resources, different requirements and obligations, and family life for mothers and children, and you know, people with different Wi-Fi stability. Like, there's there's a lot of things to look at in terms of making making this kind of flexible work accessible to everyone in an equal way. I I do think a thing a lot of folks are going to struggle with and are currently struggling with, or not even struggling with, but working through and figuring out for themselves, is this idea of work-life balance and work-life integration. Thinking about where you draw the lines and the boundaries for yourself between when you're on the clock and when you're not is gonna be an individual and personal decision for a lot of people, especially in the tech industry, where so much flexibility is now the norm, especially for new folks, I think. It can be a challenge to draw those lines and say, this is the amount that I'm going to work because this is the amount that I'm still benefiting from and, and this is the amount that's fair. And then here's, here's my free time and I'm gonna carve that out for myself. I think if you don't have a family or, you know, a very specific obligation outside of work, it can be easy to say, oh, this is the most important thing in my life. I'm just gonna go all in in it and develop my career. And that is a choice and it's a completely valid choice, but you want it to be a conscious one. <laughs> and during the pandemic, I saw a lot of people make that choice unconsciously. <laughs> so I think moving forward, even though we're, we're a lot of folks are able to go back into the office now and and are able to have social events and in-person events that give them meaning and community outside of work, it will always be a, a dance and a balance and a delicate one to figure out what that's going to look like for everyone and, and how much we want to integrate our work with our life versus how much we, we want to draw the lines. I think it's going to be a very personal decision for a lot of
2: people. Yeah, you know, um, that's, that's a great point that you touched on, right? That people with, with the way that the pandemic has changed people working, the sense of time is a little bit blurred because there's no like, you know, there's no way to shut down your laptop and walk away from it. Um, You're always, especially when you're new and you really want to prove yourself to your organization. There's a lot of people talking about nine to five jobs these days um, saying that, you know, I want to make sure that I maintain my work-life balance. I will work nine to five. I feel like sometimes along with that nine to five timing, there's also judgment that comes along with it. Sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's implicit. And people try and tell you that this is, this is all that you've worked during the day, right? Like I, I saw you shutting down your laptop, walking away at five o'clock. Like, you know, what did you achieve during the day? Or, you know, questions like that. So how do you think someone can maintain a nine to five job, whether, you know, whether you shut down your laptop, whether you're working from home or you're working from office, to maintain that work life balance and also kind of like you know dispel those those voices of judgment about how much work you've accomplished within that time.
0: Yeah, I have a couple thoughts here. One is it starts with the environment and with choosing and putting yourself in an environment that's going to support the kind of work structure that you want to have. So if you really want a 9 to 5 structure and you work at a 10 person startup where the norm is that you answer calls when you get called, that might not be the right environment for you. Um, And it might be just a difficult but reality check kind of thing to do to say, if that's really a priority for me and that's where I wanna draw the lines of my work, this is not the kind of environment I need. Sometimes it's not as simple or straightforward. You might be at a company where you thought it was going to be nine to five and that was what was advertised. And then it doesn't look like that's how it works for a lot of people and you feel weird being the person who sticks to the nine to five schedule as advertised when all your superiors and everyone else is answering calls at seven eight nine (laughs) and i think in that case i would encourage if you can make a change uh if that's a priority for you i think that's probably the easiest way out of that but if not i think starting to focus on and draw attention to the accomplishments that you do have during the day instead of uh talking about or like or having a lot of discussions about with your leadership what hours you're working start talking about the things you're achieving and if you can say here are the the results that i have here's the impact that i have that's how you get more freedom especially at a big corporation if you can talk about what you're actually doing as opposed to how you're doing it Uh, people stop caring how you're doing it if you're giving them what they want communicating the actual achievements that you're making whether that's through your nine to five window whether that's through six to nine and then 12 to three and then three to six like whatever your ideal work schedule looks like if you can say I'm achieving just as much or even more than these other folks who are answering the call at 8pm but you know, look at my OKRs as opposed to theirs, and not to drive a competitive mindset. But if, if you can show your impact, I think focus on the impact um, above the process.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good point. And I think I would add to that is staying in communication with your manager um, about your needs and um, the company's needs and what he's expecting he or she is expecting you to do. I think that will go a long way too. Um, So just
1: since we were talking about work-life balance for a lot of people, the great work-life balance that's been advertised as being like just part of the tech industry is a a major reason for a lot of people who uh, wanna try and get into tech, like myself. So um, I was just wondering what, what advice do you have for people who wanna make that career transition into tech?
0: yeah um well first of all i'd say do your research to make sure that this is really what you want to do because i do think there's so much enthusiasm and need and demand right now for technical people that it makes everyone feel like they want to be a technical person because they're like i would have great job security i would have impact on you know many of the world's interesting and pressing problems and all of that can be true but i would just say run some little experiments whether through you know, internships or mentorships, finding people who are in the industry who you can speak with about what their daily life really looks like, maybe trying to shadow, just to make sure that you're choosing a role that will actually give you that that meaning and whatever else that you want from your job, whether just job security, like all, all reasons are valid, but like really reflect on your reasons and then try to get some answers to any questions you may have that could make you doubt whether this is the right path for you. Um, and I encourage that only because I think I, I hear a lot of people saying I want to be a software engineer and then sometimes people become software engineers and they're like, oh, this isn't exactly what I thought it would be. Like, It isn't even at all like my coding classes were in college. And that's true. The engineering education looks really different from engineering in industry most of the time. Um, so I encourage that exploration um, as far as advice for like once you're getting into it or you're trying to break into it, I do think as tech-centered as engineering can be people are still running the industry and so the more networking and connections that you can make with folks and real authentic relationships you can make with folks in the industry the better your chances are going to be of finding a role that you really enjoy that's really right for you so i encourage whether it's reaching out to folks on linkedin who sound interesting to you writing a little thoughtful note about what in their background interests you. And do you have 15 minutes to jump on a call to talk about how you ended up in your current role? A lot of people say yes to those things. I say yes to a lot of those things um, because it's just about giving back and and giving back the mentorship that I've experienced from the people when I was doing my cold emailing. And right now I'm not in a season of that, but I might be in a year or two. So it's also not only a thing you do when you're trying to break into an industry. It's a thing you do when you're trying to make any kind of change in your career.
2: Yeah, you, you just spoke about mentorship. Right. A lot of people in the tech industry, from what I'm seeing, talk about how important it is to have that mentorship in your organization, to have someone who can guide you, who can champion your cause um, when you want to do something innovative and things like that. Right. One of our experts even last season said that it's important to have someone who will champion your ideas and will help you grow in your career in an organization. How important do you think is it for someone to have a mentor like that to help them grow in their career? Should they be looking for someone? Or I feel like mentors are kind of, it's kind of like a compatibility thing. You always end up choosing someone who is like, you know, willing to work with you. But how important is it to find that mentor? And how can that help you grow in your career?
0: I think it's very important to have people in your life who care about you want the best for you and can help offer advice when you come up with challenges or you have questions that you want to work through do they need to be in your company do they need to be in your career path depends on who you are and what you're really seeking um personally the mentors that i find myself leaning on right now in this point in my career are less at least the the people that i explicitly think of as mentors that we have like a mentor mentee relationship they're not in my um, company and they're not in my career path. It's, it's a lot more folks from, you know, even professors from college that I still talk to, some family members that are not at all in the engineering field that I just really value the advice of. And I think they know me really well and they can offer information that's tailored to my specific situation based on knowing my values and my skills and my passions and interests. Um, and I find that really valuable.
2: I actually read a post on LinkedIn. I'm going to read this out um, verbatim actually. I read an article on LinkedIn recently that said the biggest concern for any organization should be when their most passionate people become quiet. Mm -hmm. I agree with this statement, you know, completely, but I think they're making a subtle point here where they said should be right. They said that, you know, when passionate people become quiet, that should be the biggest concern for the organization. But it's not. These days, I feel like, and I feel like passionate people having their ideas coming to their table, you know having people talk about it, these are all important things that an organization should pay attention to, but they don't these days um sometimes you know it takes a it takes a back seat um compared to other issues. What, according to you, are these other issues that organizations today are paying? Uh, are paying more attention to?
0: That's a really interesting question. I would start with the concept that different organizations are look at different things, especially dependent on size and stature. So for instance, in my role as an engineer at Microsoft, there are many engineers at Microsoft and there are many employees at Microsoft. It's hard, I think, for an, for an organization so large to keep track of specific individuals who they've deemed leaders or passionate in a certain arena. And when this person is quiet, we should pay attention to them. I think that happens on a lower level. And then what you need is each level of management, knowing who in their chain are the people to pay attention to. And I also think there can be bias there in terms of what each manager would decide is is the list that they're going to pay most attention to. Maybe if people who think more like that more tend to, you know, have responses that sound more relatable to them, which isn't necessarily a good heuristic for the overall energy of the team or the company or the direction. And I think part of the reason early in career has been successful is because first of all there was a big wave of folks wanting to connect more with people and leadership recognized that. So when we said, hey, we have this issue, they're like, oh, we've heard about that. That, that makes sense to us. Um, it wasn't like, oh, are you sure? I don't know, maybe you're just making this up. Like everyone understood that people were feeling isolated and that not that many people were coming into the office and there was a need there. Um, and then the other reason is that we understand what that means, where if, if people feel disconnected, they don't ask the questions they need to, they don't experience the career growth they need to. and. If they don't experience the career growth they need to, they leave and they go to other companies, and no company wants that.
2: Like you said, uh, you know, if you're not getting what you need from your organization, you tend to leave and you go to a different organization, which is which is not a bad thing to do. But I like what you have done because you saw a problem with the company and you didn't wait for the company to solve it. Um, you kind of took it into your own hands and you tried to solve it yourself too. And I think the org- most organizations like Microsoft will be they'll encourage that they'll encourage you helping them make the company better so that's that's another way um not only just to help the company but also tap to try and tap into your entrepreneurship uh qualities and to like kind of grow in that as well so great answer
0: and i would i would encourage that kind of behavior i think there's often a stereotype that um self-starting things only happen in startups and that energy of entrepreneurship only happens in a small, fast-paced team where you wear multiple hats. I don't think that has to be true. Um, I think, sure, a big company does attract sometimes a different kind of talent base because they're seeking different things like security and stability. But if you want security and stability and you also wanna do something innovative, I don't think there's any reason you can't at least ask for that. At least try that. You know, they might say no, but that's if you ask in a nice way, there's there's no harm to that.
2: <laughs> Go for it. Um, Gracie, thank you so much for this, for doing this interview with us. I think we've learned so much from you. I know I know that you call yourself as someone who's early in your career as well. But um, I feel like a lot of our audience members can actually relate to a lot of things that you said. Um, but mm-hmm. you've also done something um, great to kind of diversify your career at such a young point in your career to try and make it more multidimensional. I think the early in career group is uh, group is definitely an achievement hat that you need to put on um, because uh, not only I think is it going to help Microsoft, but it's going to help all our listeners too because now they can go and start their own groups in their organization. So thank you so much. Um, that kind of leads me to my last question. What is your um, definition of success?
0: It's a strong last question. <laughs> oh, this is hard. This is a really good question. I, I actually think it's okay to say,
2: I don't know to that question as well, because it's kind of, it kind of keeps changing, at least for me at different points in my career.
0: That's actually, that's what I would say. I would say, i don't know that i have a definition of success that's like the one boolean for my life of like i did or did not succeed at a high level i think i have many small moments of goals that i want to reach and i call i I define success for that situation and i think overall i try not to pass judgment on myself as a person of being like a success or a failure i think it's more like we're all working our way through life trying to achieve and accomplish certain things, trying to learn certain things and have certain kinds of experiences. And judging those actions and those moments are more, um, they they result in more growth and learning for me as a person I've found than hashing judgment on myself as a whole person as being a success or a failure.
2: That makes Uh, a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's a great answer. I think sometimes we are our biggest critics and we tend to, think about things and stress about things quite a bit ourselves. Uh, But trying to just keep small goals, like you said, um, and achieve those, or even if you don't achieve those, learning from your mistakes and those um, I think will help go a long way.
0: I like to think of it as I have success. Like I had a success in a certain area or I had a failure. I experienced success. I experienced failure. I am not successful. Like, it's not yeah. a quality of me. It's it's a thing that I possess at a time in a certain situation. As a person, yeah. I'm great. a human being.
1: <laughs> no, that's great. Because when you, like, when you perceive yourself as having failed, you don't have to call yourself a failure. You're just someone who yeah. did not succeed at a certain thing. But you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can always try again or start over. And that's valuable. Right.
2: And and that last point was very unique and a very great point. Um, great way to put it. I think success is not something that's your quality. So yeah, thank you so much, Gracie. Uh, This was a great conversation. This was so much fun. We learned a lot from you and I think our audience members are definitely going to relate quite a bit. So uh, thank you for doing the EITF interview and we loved having you on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you so much, Charu and Nandini. It was so nice to spend this time with you and have this conversation. I really enjoyed it.